Today is the second message on the series of the parables that Jesus told in the Bible. And in today's message, we're going to uh, read about the Judgment Day, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as we think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, you know, we know that this time, he's not going to come as a baby in the manger. He's going to come as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're going to see the fullness of his love, of his majesty, and his glory. So it is a day that all of us are looking forward to, and we eagerly await the second coming of Jesus Christ. Uh, when I was a youth pastor, most of the youth, I think if not all the youth that uh, I led were first-generation Christians, and that includes myself and my wife. One of the th issues, I won't say issues, but one of the things that we had to manage was being confronted by concerned and sometimes very angry parents. And I remember there was this one occasion when I visited a home and the mom was furious about the daughter becoming Christian and coming to church. So I tried to explain to her to the best of my ability that uh, the church that she's going to, the company, is good. You know, they, he, she, 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 has, she has good friends. And the gospel is true, her faith is genuine, and God is real. And then there was this one point when we were standing in the corridor, and she was so angry, she raised her voice like really elevated and said to me, if God is real, it wasn't in such a calm tone, right? It was really elevated. She said, if God is real, ask him to appear in front of me right now. So I stood there for a moment, uh, just for a split second, you know, there were many thoughts in my mind and one of the thoughts was, yeah, Jesus, why don't you come right now? <laughs> but then I thought to myself, I don't know how it can happen, you know, in the split second, there's so many thoughts in your mind, it's supernatural. I thought to myself, but God, even if you come now, I don't know what I want you to appear for. And I don't know what you will do. And I don't know what the mom will, how she will respond even if you had appeared. When we meet challenging situations, and when we witness injustice, when we read stories of Christians being persecuted, sometimes we wish in our hearts that Jesus will come like right now, so that the bad situations and the bad people, they will all go away. But as we grow older and been through different experiences, what we have found is that some things that we think are bad, or even people that we think are bad, aren't that bad at all. And actually, God can miraculously work through the bad to bring out something beautiful. I don't know whether you have had friends who, you know, they like to do this thing, like give you doing something suddenly and give you a shock, like, ah. Yeah. So I had this friend when I was in the army, and, and very often when we were walking along the pavement in Singapore, a lot of the pavement had also a big drain beside it. So when we are walking along the pavement, sometimes what he will do is he will just suddenly push a person 
you know, and one time he did that to me, I was standing beside the drain, so he purposely pushed, pu push, pushed people, right? We just pushed, and then one, so, so one time it happened to me, he pushed me, he pushed me so hard that, you know, I had to jump over the drain, and I found that I was you know, really quite good, uh, quite athletic. <laughs> but, <laughs> these kind of friends, you know, uh, yeah, bad friends. <laughs> and then he became a Christian. And one day, I know, that, that was after he became a Christian, one day as we were walking, he stretched out his hands, you know, and this time I knew how to, you know, uh, just try to avoid him. And then he stretched out his hands and then he put his hand around my shoulder and said to me, I'm your brother. <laughs> Man, this, this bad person has become my brother. God can work something beautiful out of that. But as long as we are on earth, we will face bad things and bad people. The parable that we are studying, to, studying today provides us with the perspective to, and posture that will help us to live purposefully. And I hope that today's message will reveal God's heart towards us, uh, God's heart for the world, and encourage us to trust Him in every situation and live for His purpose in every season of our lives. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 13, verse 24 to 30, and 36 to 43. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no. Lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my bun. And then uh, the next portion, Jesus explained the parable. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend. In some translations, uh, it has all things that cause sin and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. They will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. God, we just commit the rest of the time to you. As we come into this place, many of us may be carrying in our mind challenges that we have faced in the past week, demands that we're going to uh, come across in the coming week. And there are many voices around us, but this morning, God, we just want to steal our hearts to listen 
to your voice. And as we do that, God, may your word come and speak to us. Come and inspire faith in us. Come and instruct us to live victoriously in your name. So we commit the rest of the time to you. I just pray, God, that you will speak to each and every person personally and powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. I want to reflect to you three points in today's message. One, number one is God plants. Number two is the devil pollutes. And number three is the gospel perpetuates. So point one, God plants. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 37, 38, we read, He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The parable starts with God planting his people in the field. So this parable, and the field is the world. So this parable is not about what's happening in the church, how the church has genuine believers who are the wheat and fake Christians who are the test, and how we should be able to discern the fake Christians and their false teachings and how we should not be test ourselves. No, it's not about that. Jesus said that the field is the world. So it is about God planting the sons of the kingdom, his people, that is us, into this world. But the devil has also come to try to corrupt and pollute. But wherever God has planted us, the family that we grew up in, the school and the workplace we go to, God has a purpose for us. But just because God has a divine purpose in our lives, wherever we are, doesn't mean wherever we are will always be a very pleasant place. Take for example, in the life of Joseph. First, he met the pit that his brother has thrown him into. So the pit is a place that reminded him of betrayal. And then he went into the prison. The prison was the place that his master has thrown him into because he was falsely accused by the master's wife. They were both very, very difficult places. It wasn't good. But yet God's purpose was still achieved in and through his life. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. For he brought me to this high position I have today so that I could save the lives of many people. God was, uh, sorry, Joseph was planted in a world where evil and injustice existed. But God's purpose through Joseph's life was to save the lives of many people. God lifted him up from a prison to the palace. From a prisoner, he became the prime minister. And Joseph saved Egypt's people from being hurt by famine. And also, he enabled his father's household to settle in Egypt, and he gave birth to the nation of Israel. And Joseph's story, I hope, will inspire us. No matter how difficult, place, how difficult the places we may be in, that God still can achieve his purposes in and through our lives. But having said that, it doesn't mean that God is a sadist. Like, wherever He wants to fulfill His purpose in your life, He will send you to a very bad place. It's not always like that. Uh, even in Joseph's life, there, are, there, there were two seasons, right? 
So in a season, he was in the pit and the prison. But in the next season, he was in the palace, a prime minister. Not too bad. It reminds me of some K-drama that are very good. You know, you have season one, season two. In season one, he was in the pit, in the prison. Then he went to the palace, became a prime minister. Wow, finale. And then, but that's not done yet because what about his brothers who betrayed him? That happened in season two. So in season two, he met his brother. Instead of revenge, he had redemption, all right? So season one, season two, both places. The bad and the good, God achieved his purposes. And when I think about my time in Perth, it also felt like there were two seasons. My first season was in Rockingham. I really suffered. We really suffered because there were no good Asian food restaurants. <laughs> and then when I came to this part of the world, uh, around this area, man, you don't know how blessed you are. It's like, you know, you don't know... You, in Rockingham, you don't know where to go because there was no place to go. Here, you don't know where to go because there are too many places to go. <laughs> but in both places, I saw the purposes of God, uh, you know, in, in our lives. Uh, when we were in Rockingham, one of the things that God really helped us was to understand the culture, and we were really uh, immersed into the local culture, and we understood uh, the, the Aussie culture. So in... Uh, Rockingham area, there were a lot of uh, New Zealanders and a lot of Islanders. And I found their accents and they found my accent very difficult to understand. So uh, I remember talking to this leader uh, initially for most of the time, 70% of the time in our conversation, we do not know what one another is talking about. So we kept on saying, uh, what did you say? You know? <laughs> but really, uh, you know, we saw God just... God's hand on us uh, in the two seasons. So I just want you to know, wherever God has placed you, His will for you, the Bible says in Romans 12 verse 2, is good, pleasing, and perfect. Because of that, you can trust Him. Now, everything that I've just said just now, it's easy to believe. Nobody would argue with me. But what if you feel that the situation you are in right now is a mess and this mess is because or is caused by your own mistake. So does, can God still fulfill his purpose in that kind of a situation? John Newton was a man known to be, known to be volatile, impatient, and rebellious. He actually deserted the Royal Navy, but he was caught. And after he was caught, he convinced his supervisors to send him to a slave ship. And in the slave ship, he continued to be arrogant. And he actually wrote of himself, I sinned with a high hand. But it was on a slave ship in a life-threatening storm that he, that he encountered the mercy of God and gave his life to Christ. And sometime later, he wrote the words of the song we sing today, Amazing Grace. And some 250 years later today, we still sing the hymn, Amazing Grace. And he wrote the words because of his own experience. And this is what I found and learned, that God's mercy can turn our mess into a message. If you, found, if you feel that you are in a situation where it is a mess, plead for God's mercy as you encounter his grace, his power will enable you to fulfill his purposes for you. Now, wherever God has planted you, 
and as you know that God's purposes are going to be fulfilled in your life, the devil will also come and do his work. And now we go to our second point, the devil pollutes. I'll read for you from Matthew chapter 13, verse 25, and then 38 and 39. But while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. The tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Some researchers say that this tare may be what people commonly call the poison darnel. And as the name suggests, it is toxic and poisonous. The sons of the evil one were described in verse 41 as those who cause sin, those who offend and practice lawlessness. Now, Paul met a sorcerer, and he called uh, him a child of the devil, and that's in Acts chapter 13. And the passage there pointed out the works of the evil one. So I'm going to read for you. Acts chapter 13, verse 6 to 10. They, who are Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus, which actually means uh, son of Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? I'm gonna point out to you five works of the devil we can see in this passage of scripture. First is that he opposes God's worker. In verse eight, we read he opposed them. And second is, I think this is his main agenda. He stops, he tries to stop people from coming to Christ. Someone said, if he cannot stop you from becoming a Christian, he will stop you from becoming an effective one. Number three, he promotes unrighteousness and lawlessness. He's the enemy of everything that is right. He, he comes to deceive, full of deceit and trickery, and he perverts the uh, ways of God. Now, we point out the works of the devil not to elevate him more, more than what he is. The devil is defeated, but he still works in his defeated position. It's like playing against the devil in a 90-minute football match, right? So, you may be leading 10 to zero at the, at the 80th minute. So there's no way the devil is going to win the match, but he still has 10 minutes to try to sneak a goal or hurt a player. And so we bring, the, we bring to light the works of the enemy to let us know what he's doing around us so that with God's guidance and his power, we can live intelligently and victoriously. Now this is one homework I'd like you to do. Suggested homework, you don't have to do, right? If you don't want to. But the homework is in the coming week, I would like you, if you have time, to spend maybe 15 minutes to half an hour and ask God to show you what the devil may be doing around you to oppose the, to oppose 
God's work in and through your life. And as you do that, as you have certain impressions or certain ideas, maybe even though you may be uncertain, uh, just leave them up to the Lord and then ask God to guide you to, how, to know how to navigate them and also how to live victoriously, even when the enemy is working against you. Uh, I, I, I did that uh, some time ago, and one of the things that my wife and I had observed was how just before a mission trip, uh, we will have funny feelings, you know, like our, feel, our emotions become very volatile. And we become very careful in the way we speak to one another so that, you know, our fellowship doesn't become too intense and robust. And uh, so, you know, we, we thought about what happened, you know, what causes all this. And we, we say, you know, uh, it could be maybe because before the mission trip, I'm very focused, you know, so I don't talk to her as much, and, you know, and uh, so that's not very good, and so it causes some of these feelings to come. But we also thought about that this happens in a lot of other times, not just before a mission trip. So does it really make sense that it will happen just before a mission trip? And we sort of like concluded that that's the work of the enemy. I'm not trying to blame the devil, okay? Uh, but we, we think it is. So one time I, I prayed to God. I said, God, show me how, how to do this, how to navigate this so that, you know, uh, we can have a good mission trip. And, and not, not having to struggle through some of these things that uh, we had to be confronted with. And then God gave me three words, or I felt uh, three things impressed upon my heart. And uh, this you can use as suggestions when you have to uh, work through some of the things, even in your relationship with your spouse. The first one was detour and defer. Okay, so when an, uh, a situation comes up, uh, instead of trying to tackle that immediately, you know how sometimes you say when there's a conflict, uh, try to resolve it immediately, but I don't think that's always wise. So the, the first thing I felt in my heart was to detour and defer. You know how when you drive and when there's road work, uh, road work in front, you see the sign detour, right? And then what do you do? You detour, okay? You don't drive straight to the work. When you drive straight into road work, what will happen? It will cause a lot of damage. So first thing I learned was, whenever there's an issue, you don't have to resolve it immediately. Many times, you have to take a detour and defer. Let emotions settle down a little bit, and then deal with it later. The second thing I learned is to discover to diffuse. You know how we watch some of the movies that you have this uh, bomb squad that go and defuse the bomb? And... Uh, you know, it's always very tense, you know, the clock will run down and then they will clip the right wire to defuse it. But you know, to do that, uh, it is not a matter of chance and luck, you know, because it, it makes it like, like that, you know, like there are two wires and then, you know, you just choose this wire, 50% chance of su success, and then he just did the right thing. And it's not, it's not like that. Uh, they, they, are, they are being trained to know how to read the circuit so that they can make the best informed decision. So this is what I learned. When we want to resolve a conflict, we want to defuse a situation, we must know enough to make an informed decision so that we know what to do, uh, what is the best thing to do. So before you defuse, uh, try to discover. So detour and defer. 
Number two, discover to diffuse. And third, I think this is the most important. Think, step up, not step out. Whenever we are confronted with a difficult situation, don't keep thinking, I'm going to step out. Think, I'm going to step up. For me, I think to myself, how can I become a better husband? I know that I'm bad, I'm quite good, you know, but <laughs> no, no, not really. How to be a better, you know what I mean, how to be a better husband. Okay, and one of the things I've learned is as we deal with the different situations in life, different, you know, uh, challenges, we must remind ourselves that our enemy is the devil and not people. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of darkness. And in this parable, Jesus tells us the enemy is the devil. Ultimately, the devil is our enemy and not people. So as you pray for God's wisdom to know how to navigate the different situations in your life, may God give you victory. May you live victoriously. I come to the third point. The gospel perpetuates. Matthew 13, from verse 25 to 30, and then 40 to 41. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burnt and gather the wheat into my bun. So just as the weeds are gathered and burnt with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. Now here we see that God's intention is to wait until judgment day for Him to separate the wheat and the tares. I was talking to a litigation lawyer about a case and what he said really taught me a powerful lesson. He said that laws here on earth are the closest approximation to justice. If you want full justice, you can only get it in heaven. Because we know that on judgment day, God will totally and eternally eradicate evil. When we are personally confronted by injustice or when we witness pure evil, we wish that judgment day will come right here, right now. But it hasn't happened yet because God's will is that none should perish. Between now to judgment and heaven, the weight is not meant for us to feel helpless against the evil around us. But instead, we must feel hopeful because the gospel will continue to perpetuate and reach more people in more places. In 1966, John Lennon of the Beatles said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I need not argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We are more popular than Jesus now. 
More than 50 years have come and gone. Today, BTS is also very popular. But I just heard that they all went to national service, so. 50 years have come and gone since the Beatles. The gospel has not just continued to spread, it is spreading more globally. In a research published by the Conwell Theological Seminary called The Status of Global Christianity, it reported that in 1900, 95% of all Christians in the world lived in a single majority Christian country. But today, about 50% of all Christians live in a non-majority Christian country. Now, that has a profound impact on how the gospel is going to reach every person in every corner of the world. He said that, you see, in 1900, only 5.4% of non-Christians could identify a Christian they knew. But because of this spread of Christianity, that percentage has risen to 18.3 today. And by 2050, one in every five non-Christians, that's 20%, will know a follower of Jesus and have the opportunity to hear the gospel from them. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 8 to 9 tells us, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling His promise, in the sense in which some men speak of slowness, but He, hears pa- but he bears patiently with you, His desire being that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in that chapter, Peter was recognizing that there are people who scoff at Christians and mock them for their belief of the second coming and asking, why hasn't it happened yet? Maybe in situations like that, we wish that it can happen right now, right here. But Peter encourages us to understand God's heart, that God's heart is for none should perish. Every day that God delays His judgment day, It's another day of opportunity for a classmate, a colleague to come to hear the gospel. Every day that the judgment day delays is a day of another chance for a loved one to come to know Jesus Christ. So instead of wishing that the judgment day will come right now, maybe our prayer is that God, may you delay your judgment day so that my family, my colleagues, my classmates, my friends can come to know Christ. It takes time to reach people, and people also take time to receive the gospel. I want to share with you a salvation story of Mahen and Thila, and that is with their permission. It's very encouraging. Before Mahen decided to follow Jesus, he was a very devout religious person, a staunch adherent to his religion. What opened his heart to the gospel was something a Christian lady said to him one day. He said that he was uh, discussing religion with the lady, but actually he told me that he was doing most of the talking, trying to explain his religion to this uh, Christian lady. And the Christian lady didn't say a lot, but right at the end of the discussion, the Christian lady said something that pierced his heart. She said this to him, 
one day you will meet Jesus, not like he's going to die, right? So he said, one day you will meet Jesus because in your heart you are searching for God. Mahin said that she didn't even try to explain the gospel to him. Didn't criticize his religion. All she said was, one day you will meet Jesus because in your heart you are searching for God. It was like a mirror to his heart and that opened his heart to the gospel. But he said that even after he believed in Jesus, he found it very hard to let go of his previous religion. And when the day finally came that he surrendered his life fully to Christ, it took him 10 long years. And then I asked his wife, Fila, how did she come to know Christ? She said that when Mahen uh, went to church, she had to follow Mahen because Mahen wanted his two boys to go to Sunday school. So she went to church because she had to bring the two kids to Sunday school. And she said, uh, but she really enjoyed the worship more than uh, the prayers that she needs to do uh, in her religion. And she said that the worship was warm. And she said the other thing that really helped was her parents, that means the children's grandfather, said to her that, your boys have become really different. Now, they, were only, they, they, were, they weren't even going to school pre-kindergarten age. So your boys are really, different, uh, are really different ever since they have gone to Sunday school. And so even the non-Christian uh, parents were able to see the change. So she said that really helped, and she continued to go to church. So I said, uh, Thila, could you pinpoint one moment that you can say, this is my point of conversion. She said, no, it was just a gradual process. So, I just, as she said this, I just have this thought in my mind that for a lot of people, their coming to faith was really a journey and it required time. And that's why God waited. God waits for people to come to Him. And can I have the musos to come to the stage? I also want to share a salvation story that was uh, emailed to the office about a couple of months ago. And it, it reads like that. I brought an overseas friend who was visiting Perth to church. During worship, she stood with hands folded and quite detached. But I prayed that she would experience a special encounter with God. At the end of the sermon, after leading people in prayer to receive Jesus, we were asked to stand for the final song. My friend tried to stand, but could not. She staggered and grabbed hold of me as if she was fainting. She kept trying to get up, but just couldn't. I could feel the weight of her grab and uh, that nearly pulled me down too. I assisted her to sit down and relax. I knew God was encountering this friend of mine. After the service ended, I asked her what happened. She told me that it was not a fainting spell and that she had never had such an experience. She mentioned that she prayed in the prayer to receive Jesus in her heart. After that, when she wanted to get up, she was knocked off her feet like a kind, uh, like a kind of a powerful force was upon her. She admitted that it must be the Holy Spirit, but, she, but that she felt a good feeling during the encounter. Praise the Lord for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit encountering my friend. God is good. My friend left Perth with Jesus in her heart and a new life in him. 
So the gospel perpetuates through us when we serve Him. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, as you serve God, God can use you even in ways that you don't know to bring about the salvation of many because God's heart is that none should perish. As we come into 2023 or even since last year, the international borders have opened up. So this year, we're going to have a lot, of, a lot more mission trips. And I just want to encourage you to take a step to go for a mission trip. If you've not been before or you've been before, just take a step to go for one. And I want to share this story as I land this message. I went for our mission trip when I was a, uh, a young man to Sri Lanka. It was my first time. And I went, uh, it was a team with my senior pastor and we had a lot of evangelistic meetings. And it was great. But um, my senior pastor, our senior pastor went back home first and uh, a group of us just stayed behind for a bit. And, but we, had, we still had one last assignment. And this last assignment was to preach in the assembly of a primary school. The, the, the school is a Christian school. But before uh, we went to the school and uh, did what we have to do, uh, the pastor who was host, hosting us, the Sri Lankan pastor, warned us, didn't just instruct us, warned us not to give an altar call. And he was so serious, it was like if you give an altar call, all our work you know, in the school will be destroyed. So don't do it, you understand? Okay, so we okay, understand. So when we went to school assembly, we did a play uh, in, of, of, uh, from Genesis, how Adam and Eve uh, struggled and how God came to rescue. I, I didn't play God, I played Adam. And so I, I did all, <laughs> so as a young person, give all my best, you know, uh, play Adam. And then later on, I also had to preach. So after I played Adam, uh, panting, I tried to share the gospel and explain uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then at the end of the message, I remember, right, don't give an altar call, don't give an altar call, don't give an altar call. But I just, so, so I just landed. Uh, with a question like how teachers would ask, how you would ask, you know, uh, just casually without like looking for a response. So I, so I asked the question, you know, after hearing this story, I mean, how many of you would like to give your life to Christ? You know, so I wasn't giving out a call, I was just asking. And then I, saw, I really wasn't, you know, I was just like, you know, how, you know, like you wouldn't, you know, want to reject this gospel. And how many of you want to give your life to Christ? And then I saw one hand shot up. And then, after the hand shot up, the whole school assembly, every single child shot up their hand. I said, oh no, this is bad. No, no, this is not bad, this is good, but this is bad, you know. So in the split second, I, was, I had this, a lot of thoughts going through my mind. And then in a moment of brilliance, I knew what to do. I turned to the pastor, I said, pastor, can you please pray? <laughs> so he came and prayed for everyone. I never, th I never think, that I'm a good speaker. And, I, and I, I remember one time in church, I was talking about the story, I even laugh at myself, I was talking about the story of a, the Samaritan woman. After service, someone came to me and said, Pastor, how come you say the story of an American woman? Where the Americas you know, <laughs> appear in the Bible? I said, no, it's the story of the Samaritan woman. Never thought you know, I could speak well. Uh, but you know, God still uh, chose to use me. 
So serving God is a privilege. And I just want to encourage you. Whatever gifts you have, take a step. Serve God. And, where, and you will find wherever you are, whichever country you may be in, here in Perth, whatever school you may be in, whatever family that you may be in, business, workplace, God can use your life to fulfill His divine purpose for the salvation of many because His heart is that none should perish. And so as you do that, I pray that God will bless you greatly and as God blesses you, may His blessings flow through you to touch the people around you. Just one more thing and then I'll end. Okay. Um, you know how, how we say, how we use the story to sometimes do a little joke that says that uh, when Moses uh, was called by God and we saw Aaron, he said, God, uh, don't use me, don't send me, send Aaron. All right? And we say sometimes we pray the prayer, no, God, here I am, send my brother. Or here I am, send my sister. You know what? As we end, I just want to make this a prayer. So uh, maybe I just all, ask all of us to stand up. Now, if you know the person beside you, uh, can you hold the hand of the person? Only if you know the person. If you do not know, don't anyhow hold hands, okay? Okay. Okay, uh, if you don't know, don't hold hands. But if you know, hold hands, okay? If you feel uncomfortable, also don't hold hands, all right? But if you're comfortable, you know the person and hold hands, all right? And I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, God, here am I. Send the person beside me. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Can I just ask you to just bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. All across this place, if God is speaking to you this morning, maybe you do not know Jesus, or maybe you have drifted far away from Him. But not just through the message, but as you walk into this building, as you send your kids to Sunday school, as you worship, and as you experience the whole service, you are encountering the love of God. And today you want to open your heart to God. God is speaking to you to open your heart to Him. And you know this, there's a door in your heart. And the thing about this door is the handle is on the inside. Only you can open that door. But today, if you got, feel that God is speaking to you and you want to open your heart to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do so with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. If that is you, can I ask you right now from where you are standing just to raise your hand. And when I see the hand, I will know that you have responded to God and I will pray with you and for you. Anyone in this place, just raise your hand. And even across the campuses, yes, I see the hand on my right. In the campuses, even when you're, even if you're watching online, just make this a time that you respond to God. Anyone else across this place? Just take a few more moments. Okay, you can just uh, put down your hand and let me just pray with you, pray for you. God, I just want to thank you for those who have raised their hands even as they open their hearts to you. I just pray, God, that you'll make your presence so real to them. As they surrender their lives to you, they will find that they are, they are on a journey to experience you, to fulfill your will that is good, pleasing, and perfect. And may you bless them 
in all that they do. And may you always be with them to watch over them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Let me say a prayer for you and then I'll release you. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ empowers you. May the love of our Heavenly Father encourages you. And may the power of the Holy Spirit enable you to be His sought and light so that through your life, God's divine purpose can be fulfilled for the salvation of many lives. May the Lord bless your hand. May the Lord bless the fruit of your labor. And may you, as you are blessed by God, be a blessing to the world around you. In Jesus' name we pray. May all of God's people say, Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand of praise.